listener production. Do you get along with your parents? Are you comfortable with the way they look after your child? Parenting has changed a lot since we were kids. So do you like the way your parents interact with your child or does it make you see red? Parents are often really triggering because they're the manifestation right in front of us of our entire childhood, but playing it out on our child. Welcome to Episode 7 of our special series, Parenting the Parent with Dr. Rebecca Ray, where we explore what it means to be a parent, the choices we make, the ways that we cope, and how we can turn old patterns into new actions. Feed, Play, Love with Siobhan Hunt and Rebecca Ray. Family relationships are complicated. As they say, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. You may be very different to your family. You may have different beliefs, different ideas about what life should be like. How you were raised might be the opposite to how you're raising your own child. All of these things can lead to tension when you all come together. On this episode of Parenting the Parent, we're looking at our relationship with our own parents and how to manage that relationship when it comes to grandparenting. Dr. Rebecca Ray is a clinical psychologist, author, mum, and the woman who is guiding us through this series, helping us to raise ourselves so we can raise our children with more confidence and ease. Hi, Beck. How are you? Hi, Chef. I'm really well. How does having children change our relationship with our parents? A a lot. (laughs) My My first instinct with that question is it can go two ways without being black and white around it because there's always nuance. But how I see it play out so often is it either strengthens your relationship with your parents because it often means that we get a perspective that we've never had before. Like, this is really difficult. Thank you for putting up with me when I was like this. (laughs) Or it can sometimes create a disconnect because as you become a parent, you start to realise that there are real impacts of all those things that were said to you when done around you and perhaps even to you that you still carry today. And Sometimes it's really difficult to sit with that from a place of understanding and compassion and gratitude for your own parents. And instead you look towards them and think, why did you do it like that? Why didn't you do it better? Oh, that's hard, isn't it? Mm. That's so hard. Can you give us some examples of where watching our parents interact with our kids can be triggering? Yes. (laughs) Yes, I can. Because this may or may not happen in my own life. Um, So I've mentioned in previous episodes that my parents raised my brother and I with an authoritarian parenting style. Again, they did the best that they could with what they had at the time. But being people who don't read self-help books um, and (laughs) haven't really evolved beyond being forcibly exposed to psychology, thanks to having a daughter who's a clinical psychologist, My parents, when they interact with Bennett, my four-and-a-half-year-old son, can often spout exactly the same things to him that I now see as incredibly problematic for me. Now, the primary way that occurs is through something called emotional invalidation. So when we're interacting, uh, just as humans, human to human, 
assuming you're not a psychopath, um, <laughs> then you usually have some element of empathy, which is the capacity to be able to put yourself in someone's shoes and see the world from their eyes. And the conveying of that empathy is to essentially be able to say, I see that you're having a hard time. doesn't mean that you need to solve the problem. It's a recognition of someone else's feelings. My mum and dad struggle when it comes to people they love being in pain. And I understand now that a lot of their invalidation actually comes with their incapacity to be able to deal with their own discomfort at not being able to solve a child's pain. But the way it plays out is very abrasive. So, for example, we were staying at mum and dad's. Mum and dad live a couple of hours away from us. We were staying at their place a couple of months ago. And Bennett decided that he wanted a particular cereal that mum had run out of for breakfast. And so she poured him a different cereal without explaining that to him and then served him that different cereal. And he started crying because it wasn't the cereal he was expecting. Specifically, he wanted the same cereal that Da had, but there was none left. And Mum's response to Bennett crying was, you're not going to cry over that. Don't be such a sook. So that hurts you, right? And yet my parents would actually see that as a throwaway comment that means nothing. Yeah. Because that's the way they interact with each other and that's the way they react with us. They probably look at my brother and I and go, you guys are successful, so we didn't do anything wrong. In fact, we probably did a pretty good job. They don't actually see that what comes out of their mouth is incredibly invalidating. And part of that is that you've talked about before you seeing your role, your primary role for Bennett as being his psychological safe space, that that's what you're trying to create for him. And so what we're doing, if that is our primary objective with our kids, and then we take them and, and have our parents interact with them because we want them to have that experience, both the grandparent and the child, and you think you're taking them to a safe place and then you understand that, oh, my goodness, this is not safe and you're someone that I love and trust as my parent, but you're hurting my child. Yeah. That's one example of how parenting is different. Okay, we think a bit more about the words we speak to our children now and hopefully are not name-calling <laughs> when they have a, an upset. But discipline has changed as well. So what we might expect of our kids is very different. It's a very mild example, but I remember when uh, Darcy was very small, so two or three, and she was sucking her thumb. And I did not have a problem with it. I knew that she would grow out of it. I was like, it gives you comfort. You do you. But my parents, every time she was there, my parents did a lot of looking after our kids when they were little would say, tell her to take her thumb out of her mouth. So Mm. every time she was there, she'd take her thumb out. And that was distressing for her. Mm. My compromise in the end was to say, listen, this is how Nan and Pop do things. Mm. When you're in your house, do it their way. But understand, you can suck your thumb till the cows come home at home, in bed, wherever. We don't have a problem with it. It's just when you're at Nanny and Pop's, they do things differently. Obviously, I felt I could say that because I didn't feel it was damaging her to listen to their rules while she was in their house. Mm. But some grandparents are going to have much stricter approaches to things like that and to discipline that is going to go completely against your grain. Mm. How do we deal with the way they discipline our children when they're in their presence? 
I think that you did a great job. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I do. I do think that you did a great job because the nuance here that we need to press on because it's really important is that sometimes the people we love dearly and very much want to be involved in our children's lives are people who don't do things the way we would necessarily do them. And that means that it's just not easy to go, well, you're not doing it the way I like it, therefore we're not seeing you. Now, what you were able to do then was not only convey to Darcy that she's safe and that that behaviour is not problematic, but then also not make it about her grandparents being bad. You simply explain that they do things differently. And as she grows and her cognitive capacity um, also matures, you can explain with greater language that she can then understand what that actually means. In the situation where we're comparing perhaps the way our grandparents raised us and what they then might do to repeat with our children, I think the line there that we need to watch is whether or not it is going to harm our child. Mm. So, for instance, I was smacked as a child. My brother and I were smacked regularly, (laughs) especially when we fought. (laughs) And we were a very fighty sibling duo. <laughs> we're now best friends, but we were very fighty as kids. Um, and if mum or dad ever smacked Bennett, there would be a time where we would be having a very clear conversation that that is not okay. And interestingly enough, I've never actually had to set an outward boundary with mum and dad about this. I have had a strategic conversation in front of them (laughs) with Nissa about how we don't smack and they have simply taken that on and they wouldn't smack him. I do think that when it comes to being able to work out where this line is between your own parenting and your grandparents' style of interacting with their grandchildren, it really matters as to what your values are and what is non-negotiable for you versus the other things that you have a bit of flexibility around, as well as taking into account the grandparents' capacity and willingness. Because unfortunately, we're dealing with people who may or may not have motivation to change. Yeah. And we've also, I think, have to consider just how much modern day parents often rely on grandparents for the caring role. Yeah. So my parents now, all our kids are in primary school now, but when they were small, my goodness, I can't believe how much they did. So some days they'd have four kids under four. A few times they had six under six and it was a lot that they were doing. And so firstly, my parents weren't authoritarian with me, so I didn't have great problems. I mean, that sucking the thumb thing was probably the worst it got. But I think also, like you say, it's about your own values. Yeah. So my brother and sister-in-law had really strong rules around sugar that mum and dad just, I suppose, well, I mean, they were dealing with a lot of grandkids. So yeah. they, they had treats as bribes and whatnot and, and because they wanted to spoil them. Yeah. When you talk about understanding your values, would you say you have to really be strong about what hill you're prepared to die on? Yeah. Because I feel like it's a bit unfair to expect your parents to look after your kids and then say, and here are my rules. This is what they can and can't eat. I mean, excluding if they have a nut allergy or something. Allergies, people, allergies. Allergies are important. (laughs) But if it's things like that, I mean, that could be really important for someone. It's not important for me. I'm like, they're in your house. You feed them sugar and whatever. They come back crazy. That's the deal. That's what we've 
signed up for. Yeah. Other people might feel so strongly about it, like you're setting my child up for a life of obesity or whatever yes. they might think. Yes. How do you really get down to the nuts and bolts of what hill you're prepared to die on? Sorry about the two metaphors there. <laughs> and also nuts and allergies. Um, <laughs> nice segue. I loved it. I do feel really strongly about two things there. One is that for some people, the sugar thing can be like my smacking thing. Yes. And that's okay. Yeah. That's okay for you to make a decision that that is a non-negotiable for you from a parenting perspective. Your decisions around your child's well-being are your decisions. But how that applies outside the home and your expectations for other people implementing um, whatever kind of pseudo-parenting strategies they need to in order to uphold that outside of professional care can be a bit of a stretch. And I do think we really need to think about the demands we're placing on others and how uh, acceptable it is for you to think that a grandparent is going to A, have the skills, B, have the motivation and C, have the energy to do things that they may never have done when they were raising you when they're looking after your own child. And plus, you, we think about it, most of us are having kids in our very earliest 30s yes, or late 20s. Yeah. So we're talking decades since they last had a small child. Or late 30s care. in my case, absolutely. Yeah. My parents are now in their early 70s and they just don't have the energy. And so the decisions that I make on a daily basis, even though we don't live in the same town, but even if we did, the care that I might call on them for with Bennett is still very short-lived. It might be max six hours at a time. Bennett doesn't stay overnight with them because they simply don't have the capacity to provide the emotional energy that he needs. When you're dealing with your parents-in-law, that can also be tricky or great. So great if they're providing something that your parents don't provide and tricky if you're coming up against things that you don't come up against your own parents, but you're like, oh, no, I that's not cool. Yeah. But they're not your parents. Yeah. So it's hard enough to tell your parents when you think they've crossed the line with your kid. But what do you do when it's your in-laws and they cross the line? One example for me is my mother-in-law is Italian and a fabulous cook. And her way of showing love, I believe, is to cook and nurture people that way. But I have very fussy children, right? And um, Back when I was growing up, parents would often say, there are kids starving in Africa if you don't eat what's on your plate. So we all grew up with complexes about eating everything on our plate, even when we were full, which mm. is not a great thing. Yeah. However, in my experience with my kids and trying to get them to have a healthy appetite and eat a range of foods, I do not force them to eat when they don't want to eat. Mm. That's not the way my mother-in-law is. And so we've been at the table and not so much now because the kids have gotten better, but when they were really fussy and they wouldn't eat anything, she'd be literally getting their fork and trying to put it in their mouths. <laughs> Here and comes saying, the airplane. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And try to convince it. And I was, I, she's, she's not a hard woman to talk to. So I was fortunate. I could say, listen, she, it's okay if she doesn't want to eat it. Just mm. leave it be. It's not going to work. Maybe that's also my personality that I couldn't hold back, but I can see that being a difficult conversation for some yeah. that they're trying to say to their parent-in-law, look, 
back off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It can be a really difficult conversation, but it can also be a conversation that brings you closer, especially if like your mother-in-law, they're open to having that conversation. My mother-in-law is just led by love and so beautifully understanding and committed to doing what she can for Bennett. She, Bennett does stay overnight with her, but sometimes she's too nice. So the boundaries I need to set for her, with her are boundaries she doesn't set for herself. She has painful hips and occasionally she'll be getting down on the ground with Bennett and I'll be saying, Nanny, you don't need to do that. Even though she's saying, oh, Bennett wanted to play this game. And I'm like, there's this little word called no, and uh, we're allowed to use it. It's okay. Um, Now, the interesting thing about my mother-in-law is she is very aware of what her mother-in-law did to interfere in her parenting of my wife and her sister. And so she's one of these people that has evolved psychologically and exposed herself to all this extra education, emotional education for her own well-being. And she also very consciously says to us, what you say with him goes. Tell me how you want me to interact with him. Wow, that's great. Yes, because I want to do it the way that is consistent with what you girls find important. Now, the beauty of you discussing this with your mother-in-law and me discussing this with mine is that they're open to the conversation. Mm. There are some grandparents who might not be open to these conversations at all because they actually feel like, look, there there are many people that don't take feedback well and they, they feel like that kind of feedback is actually negative and they take it personally, like they're doing something wrong, even if it's simply you expressing a value. In that situation... There are ways that you can set boundaries um, where you don't have to do it confrontationally. So sometimes you can have strategic conversations like I did in front of my parents about um, smacking. In that situation, you can sometimes bring up what's important to you without necessarily saying it directly to them. The other thing that you can do, which can be very effective, is to make sure that you lead with what you love about their style of interacting with your child. And when you preface any feedback, for any human with what they're doing well, it softens the next piece of feedback, which says, would you be open to perhaps considering doing this part of it differently? Yeah, I was going to ask you how you approach those conversations because the dynamic between yourself and your parents or yourself and your parents-in-law is different to anything else that you've you're dealing with, whether it's a peer or a friend, there's just a certain amount of, with your own parents, it's that authority they had growing up. With your parents-in-law, it's the fact that they're your partner's parents and they have their own relationship. Do you have any thoughts on how you might even bring up the conversation? Like, (laughs) for example, it's very popular when you're at work, if you're having some challenges with a colleague to say, let's go for coffee. Yeah. Is that appropriate with your parents? I don't know. What do you think? I don't think it can be that simple because every relationship with any other human being, but especially your in-laws, is unique. And so I would suggest that you choose the method of communication that feels safest for you. 
And that could be text. I was just about to say. It could be. <laughs> you text them. By the way. Yeah, by the way. <laughs> obviously, tone counts. And the benefits of having a face-to-face conversation is that tone and body language are available, whereas they're not available in text. So please know that. I don't think it's as simple, though, as just saying, let's go for coffee. I think you do A, need to pick the time. So perhaps not have a conversation when the grandchild is having a meltdown and ready to go home. That's probably not the time because people are distracted. Um, Pick a good time that seems to work, but then also pick the method that feels most comfortable for you. You might go around there for Sunday dinner. Great. So as you're helping prepare dinner beforehand, that might be a good time when you're standing side by side and don't need to make eye contact to casually bring up the topic, again, prefaced by what they're doing well. And again, you don't necessarily need to make it confrontational. Unfortunately, boundaries get a bad rap because they're seen as unkind or mean or selfish. But instead, just think of it as expressing your values and what's important to you. Something that's probably really challenging with this generation of grandparents, this generation of parents and kids is technology. So as I've mentioned, my parents have been absolutely incredible with our kids. Having said that, I also have a son who is rather obsessed with iPads and YouTube and all the rest. And my Same. Pa- yeah. <laughs> it seems to be a thing. Yeah. He has a little cousin who's nine months older than him. Mum and dad had an iPad. And so when he started using that iPad from a very young age, and I remember my husband saying to me once, I think you need to talk to your parents about how they use the iPad. So mm. I was very much, here are my kids, do what you will. I'll take them back. Everything's grand. Yeah. Daniel said, I'm fairly sure Arlo saw a video of a stingray stinging someone. And I was like, huh, okay. And I think I might've mentioned it to her and said, you know, might need to be a bit more careful about what he's watching or, cause he'd just go into the bedroom and watch stuff. And she said she acknowledged it and was like, okay. And then did nothing about it yeah. because she didn't. She didn't grow up with YouTube. They still watch terrestrial TV. They have channels and they watch Netflix. They don't watch stuff on YouTube. Yeah. She's not being deliberately negligent. Mm. She's not doing anything to be harmful, but she's also not comprehending just the impact that kind of unsupervised watching can have. How do you manage that kind of situation? I think the best way to manage that is through education. I really think that people who haven't had exposure, like even you and I, we didn't grow up with social media. So it's it's a new thing to have access to this 24 hours a day on every single device that's in our face. How do parents really know, sorry, how do grandparents really know what you can come across on the internet unless we actually tell them? I do think it's quite a reasonable assumption if you've grown up in the generations that our parents have grown up in to make the assumption that things that are inappropriate for children are not shown on children's things. I think that's a reasonable assumption. Yeah. And yet that's not how the internet works. No, it does not. But how on earth are they going to know that unless we educate them? So I think it's about having a conversation that even on kids' YouTube – there have been various times where malware has gotten has been used to show children content that's actually very inappropriate for kids' eyes. So it's about allowing them to understand where we're coming from. We're not being 
overly demanding with expectations that are unreasonable. It's simply that there are risks uh, available to our children that weren't available in their experience of parenting children. This is my own opinion, but I feel that when you are asking your parents to look after your children, you do have to give a bit of leeway there. Leeway, yeah. And, and like, that's why my rules for them when they're at my mum and dad's place is their house, their rules. Yep. My husband is totally on board with that as well. I think what might be more complicated is if you're all together as a family, let's just use Christmas Day as an example because we all know that can be pretty tough. Yes. And let's say your parents give your child something you find completely inappropriate. Let's just say you're one of those parents who hate guns Mm -hmm. and they give your little boy a Nerf gun. How do you manage a situation where you're all together, where you still feel like you have the responsibility of your child and their care and your parents just there and then they do something like that that makes you see red. What do you do in that situation? So I think it depends on whether or not the boundary has been set prior. So if your parents are actually clear on the fact that you don't have guns in the house and then they actively go and purchase a gun for Christmas. That sounds so wrong. (laughs) A toy gun. A toy gun, (laughs) sorry. A gun-like toy. Then It's a different situation as if they didn't have any idea that you didn't let the kids play with toy guns and they accidentally gave it as a present with all good intentions. Now, let's say it's the first scenario where they're actually really clear that you don't play with guns. I think that it's a case of restating the boundary publicly because we're obviously in a situation, let's say everyone's sitting around and unwrapping um, presents and it's all exciting and Obviously, you also don't want to ruin the day. So you're in a situation where the boundary is important, but it's been very clearly crossed. In that situation, you can say that exactly the same way that you might say, sorry, I don't, I prefer peanut butter over Vegemite. You say something along the lines of, we don't play with toy guns in our house, but thank you so much for the gift. It was so kind of you. Do you have anyone else who might you know, where that gift could go. Do you have anyone else who might appreciate that gift? Because those toys aren't um, played with in our house. And then you have to deal with your child who's sobbing madly in the corner and hating you on Christmas Day. (laughs) And look, it, it can be that situation where your child then bears the brunt of being in this conflicted situation where it looks like something that belongs to them because it was given to them. But this is also part of reinforcing boundaries, that someone else's discomfort about your boundary isn't your responsibility to manage. One thing I notice about my family life compared to when I was growing up is that my grandparents were quite emotionally distant. You know, I feel on my dad's side, they were in the country, they were very stern and and we only saw them, you know, at Christmas and stuff like that. And on my mother's side, uh, it was complicated in a different way. She lived with us, but was quite by that stage, bitter and unhappy. Mm. I see the relationship my kids have with my parents and with my husband's mum. And I think, wow, I actually think this is what families are meant to be like. Yeah. How special can grandparents be when it is a good relationship? I think grandparents can be life-defining. I was lucky enough to have adult relationships with all four of my grandparents 
three of whom only passed away in the last six years or so. Wow. My dad's father was my best friend. All four grandparents loved me. It also kind of helps that I was the first grandchild um, on both sides but and the only granddaughter on my dad's side as well. But their relationships with me were like no other relationship I've ever had and will ever have again in my life. So much so that I think they were my first experience of being loved unconditionally, of being treasured. I feel like I was genuinely cherished. And um, I remember one day I did my internship at a hospital in Taree, of all places, um, in country New South Wales. And I would occasionally drive home to the Gold Coast where my parents and grandparents lived. And I would come home for a weekend and I liked to surprise Nan and Pop, my mum's my mum's parents, by not telling them because they thought I was the best thing since sliced bread. And they ran a market uh, selling cookies at the local flea market. And so we turned up at their stall and just were off to the side while they were serving customers. And my nan was mid-sentence saying, yes, she's um, she's a pilot and she's studying psychology and um, <laughs> she's she does this and she does that, yes. And then she looked over at me and she goes, oh, and here she is. <laughs> it was the most beautiful thing. But that relationship... Oh, it almost makes me teary thinking about them. But that relationship still exists for me now in death because there is so much of them that I feel shaped me. But also now that I'm a parent, there's so much of that that won't be present for my child in my parents because they're not the same people. Mm, They are just different people. He will have it with Nissa's mum, maybe her dad as well. Um, but especially her mum, but he won't have it with my parents. And so uh, I'm in a place where I need to reconcile that, but also understand he doesn't know what I know. So he's got nothing to compare it to. So we, again, need to play to people's strengths because I think grandparents can be pivotal when we accept what it is that they bring to the party and very much treasure that for what it is that there are these people that exist outside the daily demands of raising young people that can be present for our children. And I think it's a truly precious relationship. Beck, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for having me, Chef. That was episode seven in our series, Parenting the Parent with Dr. Rebecca Ray. Coming up in our next episode, whether you're together or separated, shared parenting with someone takes work. You might not agree on the small stuff, let alone the big stuff. So how do we get on the same page when it comes to raising our kids? Find out on the next episode of Parenting the Parent. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Feed, Play, Love, a listener original podcast. If there's something you'd like to learn more about, email me at feedplaylove at sca.com.au. I'd love to hear from you. For more great kids and parenting podcasts, check out the Listener app and don't forget to follow us. I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you next time.